listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy, and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join, but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief, because all children leave footprints on our hearts. And welcome to episode 16 of Footprints on Our Hearts. I haven't really got an intro for you today. I'm sure there was something I was going to say, but to be honest, it's been a really long week and it's currently uh, 9pm the night before this podcast is going out. So <laughs> my brain has has died for the week. <laughs> I've had a book launch and a few other things um going on so it's been a pretty busy hectic week and I'm quite looking forward to the weekend but before that I have a great episode for you this week with Cheney Jackson and I really enjoyed chatting to Cheney about her son Tobias he was born prematurely at the end of last year and lived for 51 days in the NICU before sadly losing his battle with life and as well as as talking about Tobias's pregnancy and birth, we have a really good conversation about what life was like in the NICU during those weeks when they got to spend time with Tobias. And it really, it, it opened my eyes up to some of the realities of having a baby in the NICU, um, particularly, you know, straight after they've been born, where you haven't even had a chance to, you know, hold them before they're they're whisked away. We talk about the beads of courage, which I will leave you in suspense about. So you have to listen to the episode, but it's, well, I'm not going to say anything because I'll spoil it. And Cheney describes it so much better than me. Um, We talk about the early days of grief. Um, We recorded this just five months after Tobias's death. So it really is still those early days when, when everything gets a bit harder before it gets, before it gets better. And we also talk about why Cheney's chosen to share Tobias' story and how her Christian faith helped her through her time in the NICU and also brought her peace at the end of Tobias' life. So it's a really great conversation and I feel like I could have chatted to Cheney all day. I do want to offer one apology. I had a few issues with the file, the audio file for this episode, Um, just a few bits didn't come through properly. So I've had to edit a couple of short bits out. So you might notice the odd kind of blip in the conversation, but hopefully that won't detract too much from your enjoyment of it and from Cheney's story. So without further ado, I'll let you listen to episode 16. Today I'm joined on the podcast by Cheney, mother of Tobias and author of the blog and Instagram account Puzzle Pieces of My Heart. Welcome to the podcast, Cheney. Hello. <laughs> it's great to have you here. I love to I love the title of your blog. Um, can I start by asking why did you choose that as a name? Um, so I really wanted it to represent something that was obviously close to my heart and that he's made my heart whole and complete and he's that final puzzle piece. But actually now it's been taken away that's what I feel like I feel like it's incomplete and I feel like there's a bit missing um so that's where it came from it was just an easy way for me to try and explain how I was feeling at the time 
I think that's a really beautiful way of describing it because I know um, a lot of people, and I was actually, I was just writing something yesterday about my experiences and and talking about this sense of always having part of you that feels slightly incomplete and a little bit Mm -hmm. missing. Um, And I really, I really love that analogy you've used for that. Um, So let's get on to talking about Tobias then. When did you first decide you wanted to have children and how was your experience of trying to conceive and the early months of your pregnancy with him? Um, so it's been really quite straightforward for us. Both of us had a plan from the start and I've always had a very, um, I don't know, a not rigid plan. That's probably the wrong word to use, but I knew the way I wanted to do it. I knew how I wanted to start a family and that was always very traditional. Um, I wanted to have a relationship, move in with them, get married and then have a baby after all of that was done. And to an extent, it was almost a way of, it just ticked boxes. And then we suddenly got to the point where we were like, I don't know what else we're waiting for. Maybe now's the time. Let's just see what happens. Everything had been so easy for us and so straightforward that we were so lucky. Things just fell into place. It just felt like the right thing to do next. Um, so yeah, we fell pregnant quite quickly. Um, and obviously we were both over the moon. Um, and the pregnancy was really easy too, um, to begin with. Um, had a little bit of morning sickness, just usual symptoms you would expect. Um, the 12 week scan came around so quickly and the big announcement of telling everybody on social media, etc. Um, and it was just, it was just such a lovely time. Um, we never dreamt that we could be in the position we're in now. Mm-hmm. Um, at the 20-week scan, I went along blindly, presuming it would just be another opportunity to get an updated scan picture. Um, and it really was a turning point. It was That was the moment we found out something was wrong. Um, and it just triggered another chain of events, really, that we never saw coming. Mm. And had you had you started to kind of get things ready for for your baby before that 20-week scan period had you had you been able to restrain yourself from going out and buying all the things or had you indulged that side (laughs) um I think the way you could describe it was that we bought everything we didn't need (laughs) um my mum and my nana particularly were so excited they went out we bought so many outfits and um we went pram shopping we did all the fun bits but we didn't buy one single bottle or one single baby monitor or anything practical um we kind of figured all the boring stuff could wait um so yeah we we bought everything we bought nursery furniture which is still actually sat upstairs in the bedroom haven't quite figured out what to do with that yet but we'll cross that bridge another day um so we had started preparing we didn't and even when we found out something was wrong we um we only knew that his hands and feet hadn't developed properly. So he had club foot, um, which is fairly common and not a big concern at all. Um, but his hands were the same. And that just meant that other things could be wrong that they couldn't see. Um, so was that what you found out at the 20-week scan then? Yeah. Um, but even then, they didn't really know much. They referred us to fetal medicine appointments and extra scans. And it was the scans after that, really, that it became clear that it could be it could be quite different. Um, we thought about how we would get a car where we could possibly fit in a wheelchair. Um, 
how we could maybe make a downstairs bedroom in the future. Um, we were preparing for life with a disabled child. Um, and really, that's all we knew. Even the um, appointments after that, the specialists were very honest and just said, we don't know what it's going to be like. Um, so was there was there a sort of particular condition that Tobias was diagnosed with or was it just, a, I guess, a series of de- developmental issues that were showing up? So this is a big part of our journey, actually, that we still don't know what it was. Um, at the moment, it's, um, it's just gone down as an unknown genetic condition, which leaves us with lots of questions about if it would happen again. Um, there were lots of things. We kept being told that they'd never had a baby recorded on the NHS with his symptoms before, that they'd never seen a baby like him or heard of a baby like him. They were consulting with lots of different hospitals and nobody knew what what it was um he had lots of common symptoms of different genetic disorders but they'd never been seen as a package um so we just don't know what it was and I've come to terms with the fact that we might never know that that must be incredibly hard I mean every parent wants answers but when you're in that situation where you're still pregnant with him and you're going to these scans and 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 finding out that things are wrong but you know, it's not particularly reassuring to be told yours is the only child in the country who's no, it's it? <laughs> they've come across. So that must have been that must have been really hard. We made a joke of it and um we tried to say lighthearted and made a point that he I I always like things that are different. That's a bit of a thing in my family. If it's different and unique, I love it. Um so that became a bit of a joke saying, Oh, well, you do like anything that's different. He's obviously your baby. Um so, yeah, now I just want to be as normal as I possibly can. I don't want anything different ever again. Um, but, yeah, it's hard to hear. But then it also leaves lots of questions of hope as well. If nobody knows, then there's a strong chance. Um, mm-hmm. So we just clung on to that. Yeah. So how did how did his condition progress then as you were going? So I guess you've gone through a few scans. So you're sort of late second trimester, start of the first, third trimester. What happened next? Um, so we had scans at the fetal medicine clinic and every scan showed something different towards the end of the pregnancy. I actually was scanned or monitored every single day. Um, and that was because I was showing different symptoms. So I was being checked. Um, so my bump was quite big, which meant that there was too much fluid, which meant that he wasn't swallowing very much. Um, And during the pregnancy, I just thought, oh, well, doesn't matter. Um, They said that he might come early because of it. He just ran out of space. Um, And um, they could see the stomach. So he was swallowing something. And again, it was just, we'll see when he gets here. Um, So that's how we went. Um, Just lots of question marks. Yeah. So you you were, I guess, expecting... A premature baby, possibly, you know, a baby who might have disabilities. Um, and I think you got to about 30 weeks, was it? Yeah, that's right. So he was born at 30 plus two. Um, so luckily, the appointments I'd had previously um, in the last couple of days said that he'd be delivered soon. So get your hospital bag packed. And at 30 weeks, um, that was quite a shock to the system. Mm. Um 
But I did. And um, they described some symptoms of labour because it wouldn't have been an expected labour. Um, so different symptoms would come up, for example, chest pain, back pain. Um, it might not be as strong as I would have expected. So when I woke up with chest pain and for a couple of days could not sit down and was just rocking backwards and forwards because of the back pain, I went into A&E and &E, um, and yes, A&E, not the midwife um, department, because I had chest pains. I had to sit in A&E for a night where they did blood tests and um, found out I had gallstones. And that was the only reason I was in hospital when my waters broke and I had an emergency cesarean straight after. Wow. And that wasn't connected to the pregnancy at all. Was that just coincidental or was it connected? They developed because of the pregnancy, um, which is quite common, Um so, yeah, that's the only reason I was in hospital in the first place. And I'm not sure I would have even got the chance to meet him if I wasn't there at the time. So did things happen quite quickly after your waters broke then? Yeah, so they happened really quickly. Um, I think they broke early hours of the morning. Um, so I called my husband in and um, they came in and said, right, we need to deliver baby. They started pumping me with all sorts of drugs um, to try and give him a boost. and he was born at just after 10 o'clock in the morning I remember them saying baby is going to be delivered soon and I was like oh okay yeah he's going to be here before midday I was like <laughs> had a little quiet scream to myself um but yeah it was so quick and I can't even explain or remember the feeling of all these people keep coming into me I've no idea who they were but it became apparent that it was serious in that moment people mm -hmm. from all over the hospital came um, people that are never usually consulted at a birth suddenly became so important and people had dropped everything to come and support us. And I think that's when I realised that it's serious and we need all the help we can get. And when Tobias was born, was he a whist otter NICU immediately? Did you get to see him? So... Um, I had a cesarean, as I said, and in that time, um, I think we were in theatre for about 20 minutes and they were trying to get a breathing tube in. They were trying to intubate him. Um, they were having some real problems with that. And eventually they took myself and my husband out of the theatre and just continued to work on him. So I didn't get to see him, I think, for over an hour. Um, and then when I did, they'd got the breathing tube in and Again, it was such a panic to just quickly let him see his mum and take him away again. Um, so the room was filled with people trying to hoist me up um, so I could reach out and touch him. And it must have been less than two minutes and they whisked him away upstairs. Um, I got to see him again quickly um, a few hours after that, just to see him wrapped up in his um, incubator that went into the ambulance and he was transferred to another hospital. Okay, so was that was that was that because the hospital you were at didn't have the right facilities for him to deal with his needs? Yeah, so the local hospital just wasn't equipped. Um so he was transferred to the Rosie at Addenbrooks. Um and also because they didn't know what was wrong with him, I think it was the best place to try and find out. And Addenbrooke's is a big and really well-renowned hospital as well. So it was probably the best place for him. But it must have been incredibly difficult for you and your husband. Did your husband stay with you or did he go with Tobias 
in the ambulance. He went with Tobias. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were and you were just left there having just had a cesarean and obviously, you know, probably still numb and trying to, you know, needing to recover from that. Do, do you remember what your thoughts and feelings were at that time? Um, so that was the day it was really scary. And just before I went into the cesarean, if I backtrack a little bit, she said, so we know that he can't swallow very well. And this could mean that he can't breathe. And that was the first time I had ever been told that he might not breathe. Um, when they came to call out the ANTS team, which is a charity and saved my baby's life, um, she said there were three options. One, that he would go to Luton. One, that he would go to the Rosie or that he'd be too poorly to move anywhere and that the best thing to do was for him to stay here and just have a bit of time with his family for as long as he could. So when they said that he was going to be taken away, I was so pleased. I I just I just wanted to chuck him out the door so that he could go and be where he needed to be so people could laugh, look after him the best that they could. Because that's still... That, that means there's still hope, right? That means there's still hope that he's going to be okay and they haven't given up on him. That they they wanted to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it was scary, but I guess I was overwhelmed with joy that they were prepared to try and do something to save him. Yeah. And when did you get first get to, to sort of meet him properly in the NICU then? So that was actually the next day. Um I asked a few times during the night if I could go up and see him, um, but he wasn't ready. I think it took a little while to get him in and get him settled. And were the were the doctors at that point? What was Tobias's prognosis? What did they tell you about his condition and his his chances? It was still so uncertain. I the whole times just questions. I, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but really they just said the same things that they had during the pregnancy, that they'd investigate, that they'd try and do things. We got listed a few more physical symptoms that they didn't pick up on the scans. Um, but ultimately the main problem was that he couldn't breathe and that he would need surgery to have a stoma bag in the next couple of days. And that was it really. It was just bonding time for us and we just had to soak up every moment we could Mm. and and your little fighter lived for 51 days he did yeah so I'd quite like to talk a bit about your time in the NICU if that's okay because I know some of our listeners may have had babies on NICU but to others it's it's a bit of a mysterious place you know it's not somewhere you go or really hear about unless unless you have a child there could you maybe tell us a bit about your experiences on the NICU and what it was like in the weeks following Tobias's birth? Um, I guess it was quite daunting. Um, like you say, you just don't know what to expect. Um, when I first went up there, it was just like another hospital ward that had a bit more colour and a few more cheery faces. Um, there was no rush. There was no panic. It was so calm it was a beautiful place to be, but it was so scary at the same time. Um, it was such a roller coaster because I suppose with any hospital ward, you just don't know what the next moment's going to bring. Um, 
So even with things like his surgery that was planned, that got cancelled quite a few times before he was taken down. And when your two-day-old baby is going for surgery, it's a really scary thing to have to deal with. So for them to swap and change it, but the doctors and midwives and nurses just made the whole situation so much easier. Um, Everyone was there to be supportive and even though my primary focus was Tobias, it was very apparent that everyone else's focus was us as a family unit. And I think that's what made the difference. They were looking after us as well. And they did such a good job of it. I felt so loved um, and really taken care of. If I needed anything for my recovery, then it was done. Um, I just felt the love in that place. It was amazing. And even though you weren't able to sort of take him home and feed him and bathe him as you know you dreamed you would with his with your son you're still his mother how how did you try to create that bond with him and be the mother you wanted to be within the constraints of the NICU it was quite difficult because he was so fragile I think I was scared to touch him or to do anything to him as time went on I got more confident and I knew his signs of what he liked and what he didn't like um because he couldn't cry to start off with I worried that I'd be hurting him or upsetting him and he wouldn't be able to tell me um but the nurses just encouraged you to like told you how to touch him because naturally I want to stroke him um but they explained that actually that's quite ticklish, quite uncomfortable. And if he can't move, that's probably oh, not going to be very nice. Oh boy. <laughs> um, I know. So it was just little things like that, just saying, no, it's okay. Go and reach out, touch him, hold his hand, hold his head, um, talk to him and read him stories because he'll hear your voice and know you're there. And for the first few days, I felt so strange reading a story in a room of nurses that I knew were listening. Um But then he would react and that would just remind me that who cares what's going on around me? I'm here with my baby, reading him a bedtime story, kissing him goodnight. And it's I I kept feeling like I wasn't being a real mum because I wasn't the one looking after him. But I did everything I could to try and look after him. I, um, My husband and I even got up in the middle of the night and went to change his nappy. And we just soaked up every opportunity that we could. We asked the nurses to call if he needed anything so we could go up and change him or change his bedding or whatever it was. They just made sure that they included us wherever they could. And were you able to stay in the hospital as long as you wanted or did you go home and come back or what was the sort of arrangement for seeing him? Um, So there's a charity that has some rooms in the hospital and I guess it's just like a university dormitory or something like that. You have a shared kitchen and lounge and you each have your own bedroom. I think there's um, eight bedrooms or maybe 12 bedrooms. There's quite a few, but nowhere near enough the amount of babies that are in the NICU at the time. Um, We were so lucky. We got to stay there the whole time Tobias was with us. Um, And I cannot imagine going through that and being over an hour's drive away. You never know when the phone's going to ring and he's taken a turn or he needs something and you're not there that hour would be the longest hour ever they encouraged us to come home one night a week just for a bit of normality get some fresh clothes drop off some things um so that's what we did most weeks not all weeks because it was quite tricky to begin with um 
But that was really nice to come home. And sometimes I'd come home and I'd prepare stuff because I was like, nope, I'm bringing him home. He's coming home with us. I want make, to make sure this is ready. And then other times it was just coming home to get out of that environment for a little while um, to maybe pick up some clothes or some bibs for him. Um, I tried to make coming home about him so I didn't feel bad about it because I think it's quite difficult to leave when you know how vulnerable they are. But I had to make sure I was in a good place for me in order to help him. Yeah, that, that's really true. And it sounds like an amazing facility you had there. I think sort of from speaking to the people who've who've had children in neonatal units I think sometimes there's, there's a room or two where you can stay overnight maybe or, or one or two people stay but to have that um, ability to stay there more longer term and to be that close to him I think most people stayed there for a couple of nights maybe whilst their baby was having surgery or maybe a week if um, things were a bit uncertain we didn't meet anybody that was there as long as us um and you'd forget what a vulnerable situation people were in when they stepped through that door. It became our home. It was Tobias's home. And we were quite comfortable making dinners in the kitchen by the end of it and sitting in the lounge. And you forget the panic of people walking through the door that were just staying there for a couple of nights. Um, so I think our case was a rare case. But I'm so thankful we had that space. And this might sound like a strange question, but what's your happiest memory of that time with Tobias? Getting up in the middle of the night and just thinking, I want to see my baby now. And just being able to do it. Just being able to spend time with him whenever we wanted to. Um, Because getting a baby out for a cuddle that's intubated is quite difficult. Um, During the day, it didn't happen very often because other things come up and babies needed things. And we were completely understanding about that, however difficult it was. Um, I waited 11 days for my first cuddle. And um, I waited 11 days in between cuddles. So everyone was so special to me. And quite a few of those were during the nighttime because that's when it was quiet. There was nothing else going on. We could just sneak up and have a cuddle when we wanted to. Um, Takes about an hour, I think, to get a baby (laughs) prepared and ready. Um, And you can't move. So it doesn't, they like you to have your baby out for over an hour too, um, balancing the tubes and everything on you. But um, it was a different experience, but I'm just so glad we got to cuddle him and do those things during the night when it was just us and it was our space. Yeah, and I understand now why you said they can't always do it during the day. Because I, you know, I mean, obviously, I, you know, I know that the babies are very fragile and they have all these tubes and things attached. But just that whole process, you know, taking an hour, you know, just to be able to to get him into your arms. Goodness, I think you have that's... to make sure that he's clean and comfortable, that he's fed, that his um, his numbers are all just quite right, knowing he's comfortable and. Um, yeah, it's it's a big job to move a baby that's got a breathing tube. Some babies can be unplugged, moved, and then quickly plugged back in. Um, but for Tobias, it just wasn't that simple. So we had to be patient. Mm-hmm. And one thing I came across on your blog was the beads of courage, which I hadn't come across before. Could you tell us a bit more about what this is and how it works? So I've got my um, beads of courage example the one that you get when a baby's administered to NICU you get a little turtle um, and if your baby has a blood transfusion you get a red bead and um, 
it's just on and on. I think there's about 30 beads, but every single one means something different. So when you're having a bad day or you feel like you're not getting anywhere, looking at the amount of beads you've acquired just gives you a sense of hope and strength. And if you're worried about your baby having surgery, you can look back at the surgery beads and think, actually, he's had two already and he got through them and he was fine. He can do it again. Um, I've now got mine displayed in a picture frame um, just to remind myself of how strong he is and how much he went through. Um, and they're so colourful. It's so lovely when you walk into this clinical NICU and see your little beads that are there. And it gives you something to do when you're sitting with him. I made pictures with him surrounded by beads. Um, sometimes I just sit there and count them. Um, just it was just something lovely and tactile to hold on to. It's wonderful. And I, I will try and remember to link to the picture of all his beads in the display case, because I think you've got it on your blog and your Instagram in the in the notes. So yeah. people listening can see them because it really, it really is lovely. Was that was that something that happened that you get in all NICUs or was, do you think was that just um at Addenbrooke? Not all babies in Addenbrooke's had them either. Um it's a charitable thing set up by parents that had a child that received treatment. Um, I think there's sort of certain criteria mm -hmm. to fit it. Um, and some of the nurses are in charge of it. So I suppose it depends whether you've got a nurse that's willing to take on the responsibility. And also what what treatment your baby's receiving. Um, and I guess what, what the pro prognosis is and how long you're likely to be there. Well, exactly. Yeah, I know that... Um, Sometimes children that are receiving cancer treatment get them. Um, it's not something just for babies, it's for children. Um, and there's also different schemes. So there's a parent's scheme. There's also a sibling's one. So that if you have a sibling that's um, receiving treatment, you can also collect beads yourself, um, which I think is really lovely. Um, yeah, it's nice and colourful and it gives you something to look forward to seeing and achieving. Yeah, definitely. Because I, I imagine that, Perhaps things can go into a blur, but equally having those milestones that you can kind of tick off must give you hope on that kind of road and path you're going through. The biggest thing was for me is um, so you have a journal inside and the nurse will tick off when you've achieved it that day. The biggest thing for me was moving through the days and having to start another journal. It was <laughs> such a big step to think they make the journals a certain size for a reason and Tobias has got through that and he's now on the next one he's reached the next step he's reached longer than everybody thought he had um that was a huge step as well just to have a second journal um mm -hmm. knowing that he'd completed it and he'd done it and how how were you and your husband during this time in terms of were, did you did you even entertain the fact that he might not be coming home with you? And I guess at what point did you realise that he wouldn't be getting better? Um, it really depended on the day, even the moment of the day. Sometimes um, we'd have a chat in the morning with one consultant and it become clear that there wasn't a lot of options left. And then you speak to somebody else and they say, but we can do this. They would explain that the chances might not be very good, but at that point it was a chance and we didn't care. We took it anyway. Um, it was the, 
third time he'd been tried to be extubated, they got a um, a rare drug, especially into the hospital that they had to track down for quite a few days for a rare genetic condition that he was showing a few symptoms of. Um, so they tested this drug on him and then took out the tube and it was the same story. He just didn't have the strength to breathe himself. Um, and at the time, I was like, okay, that's fine. We've done this before. We've been here. There's always a next step. It was the morning after that that we had asked to speak to the team that arranged this drug and they weren't going to come up to see him again for another few days. That was when I knew they'd run out of ideas. Um and that's when I broke down and I knew what that meant. And so did my husband. So we asked for another meeting with the consultant and he was very honest. And he said, we've done everything we can think of now. Um, and that we need to start thinking about taking away his treatment or withdrawing support is the term that he used. Actually, we need to withdraw support soon. Um, so they were very clear we could do it however we wanted to um, and wherever we wanted to. So we had the option of a hospice um, and a few other things that we decided that was his home and that was the right place for it to be. And also we didn't want him to go through the stress of having to move. Um, so we chose a date um, and spent a week with him because it was my birthday that week. So we just wanted to soak up every moment we could. Um, and we chose the 1st of December where my family came in and Jake's family came um, and we had a christening and um, that was the date we chose to withdraw his support. Um, and now we've got a little bauble made. So on the 1st of December every year, we can put his bauble on the tree and remember our baby boy. Mm. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's a decision that no parent should ever have to make. And it's completely heartbreaking. At the same time, I guess it gave you maybe a measure of control over things and knowing how much time you had with him and being able to, to make those memories um, before you had reached that point. I think the consultants knew before they tested this drug that it was a very small chance that it would work. But we did feel in control. That's completely how they made us feel. We thought there was a chance, so they did it for us. And we can now say that we tried everything we could think of. Um, and if I think if there's any doubt in a parent's mind, it just attacks you and it wears you down. But we did everything we could. And I sit here now and think, oh, if only we had one more day, how could any parent want their child to be in pain? Um if you love your baby you want to do what's best and even though it's awful yeah and I'm sure the consultants did everything and tried everything they possibly could because particularly with babies and children you know it it hurts them to lose babies as well you know they the doctors who are in that field are passionate about what they do and they will try everything they can to give you know, to give children the best possible chance and the best possible life. Um, so I'm sure if there was anything else that could possibly have done, you know, they would have mentioned it and they would have done it. They were crying right by our side. Um, 
Lots of the nurses had had grown to love Tobias. They were the ones looking after him, spending all day with him. Um, and his primary consultant too. She was just so lovely. Um, and we really felt that they all cared for him. So, yeah, they they would have done everything that they could. And I know that they did. Mm-hmm. And we're recording this just five months, I think, after... Tobias's death so your grief must still be really raw and how how have these five months how have they been and how are you feeling now um it's been strange actually because I think I've been able to keep myself together a bit more than I thought I would and before (laughs) that um what other people thought I might have been like um and it's getting harder honestly um Mm -hmm. Straight afterwards, um, I knew I could see him suffering in my head, and I knew that it was the right thing for him. But now I just miss him so much, um, and I think I think it goes up and down. To start off with, I remember sitting in silence, just wondering what would make me happy. What would what were the things that used to bring me joy, and how could I? try that now um and that was something I really had to try and work on but I think just pushing yourself a little bit more and all of a sudden I find myself doing these things and time goes a little bit faster um so my life's busier now which is nice because when I first got back from the hospital I didn't know what to do with my time the days were so long um but I miss him more now um and it's also a bit harder to remember remember the nice times because obviously you have this horrible image in your head of even when he was first born I remember thinking how poorly he looked and I struggle to look at those pictures now um I prefer to look at the ones later on where he's a bit chubbier and a bit healthier um but it depends on the day. It depends on what I'm doing. It depends on the weather. It really doesn't take much to throw me off. Um, but just one day at a time. And I really try and make a conscious effort to remember the good times, like reading him stories or holding his hand or the funny little squeaky noises he would make. Um, it's just being aware of those things and trying to bring those happy things to the forefront of your mind so you can carry him through it. Um, alongside you rather than getting upset about it and trying to push it to the back of your mind actually I want him to be a part of moving forward that means looking for the positives and trying to be happy and remembering those moments that we we will have forever to cherish and I think there is I was chatting to a friend of mine about this the other day this kind of how you feel you know how grief is basically just an expression of love and it's like you get sad and you feel like you need to push that away but actually you don't want to push that away because that that is how you're expressing your love for your child yeah and you know sometimes you need to embrace it and and even the happy memories are tinged with sadness I guess but that's okay because Mm -hmm. that just shows how much you loved him I think a big thing that's helping me is just talking about him I wish I could talk about him all day, every day. And I find it really difficult, actually, to bring him up in a conversation with my friends and family, mainly because I just don't know what to say. He's always on my mind. I'm always thinking about him. But 
what do you say about him? A lot of the things that I remember are private and my family didn't experience that. Um, Speaking to other bereaved parents through my Instagram page has filled me with so much love and so much confidence to talk about what we've been through. And really, that has been a huge step in my grief to speak about him openly and honestly as well. I really try and keep it as honest as I can. Um, And other parents share a lot of the same pain that I have, but they also share a lot of joy. And we're getting to the point now where we can talk about our babies and share the fact that he had a funny shaped head or whatever it might be. It's just lovely to talk about your baby and also know that they don't find it weird <laughs> they they want to talk about them too yeah and I I totally agree with you about kind of not not knowing how to start a conversation and I think you know from our, maybe our friends and family's perspectives they're the same and they're not really sure how to start that conversation either so there are just so many things that go unsaid and just get get left in a void and that can make you feel really isolated and alone I think particularly in those early days. I've had to make sure my friends know that if they want to ask me a question about the hospital or about him or about his treatment please ask because I want to talk about him and I might cry but it's because I'm remembering something that is quite painful but there is nothing I want more than to speak about my baby boy. Definitely and I think I think pretty much all mothers and, and fathers and, you know, grandparents can can agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe you have a little poodle, Ira. I do. Who yeah. joined your family shortly after Tobias died. I think we heard her barking at the start of the episode. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> she isn't the first dog we've had on the show and I'm sure she won't be the last. <laughs> So was it was it your idea or your husband's idea to get her? And how did you feel welcome, welcoming her into your family just after losing Tobias? So my husband's wanted a dog for a very long time. And I always said, oh, not now. When I'm on maternity leave, I'm at home all day. We can get a dog then. Um, so I was on maternity leave, not in the circumstances I wanted to be. But he wasn't waiting any longer. So we started on the dog hunt um, and agreed that we wanted a small dog that is hypoallergenic because he's got asthma. um, And we found Lyra. So we went to see Lyra and um, she's very shy. She's quite nervous. um, And she was quite happy to sit on your lap all day and not do an awful lot, um, which suited me down to a T. So um, we agreed that we would get Lyra a few weeks later. But then in between seeing Lyra and collecting her, I actually went back into hospital um, following my surgery. Something didn't quite go to plan. Um, So I was back in hospital for 10 days over Christmas um, and we'd agreed to pick her up just a couple of days before Christmas Day. Um, So my husband went and collected her and just sent me loads of pictures. And it turns out she was a a bit mad. Um, She was completely bonkers, in fact. So. I got pictures of her bouncing up and down and running around in circles and all sorts. Um, so she's just brought so much joy and I guess she's made the house a little bit louder. Um, it was a very quiet place to be. It was very lonely and having her trotting around or just sitting with me on the sofa, I've enjoyed it so much more than I thought I would. Um, 
she gives me a reason to get out of bed sometimes when I'm just like, I'll stay here for five more minutes and then an hour later I'm still sat there in bed um so it's nice to get out and about and to have a bit of company um when Jake returned to work in January it would have been really tough being sat at home on my own knowing that there should be this extra little body in the house um so I guess she just took a little bit of those quiet moments. Um, she took a few of those moments away. Um, and it's really lovely to have her here now. Um, yeah, I think she's becoming my dog a bit more than my husband's, which he won't <laughs> like very much. But <laughs> I think we, we've had a similar thing. So we, we got a cat actually about four months after Sky died. It was a bit of a, we sort of ended up getting him from a friend who's looking to be a home him and I was always the one who wanted cats and my husband was like oh well okay okay and then after we lost Sky he was like well maybe we should get one um and now Darcy is he is so much of a cat dad it's ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> he is far more overprotective of him than I am animals they have a certain talent at transforming transforming people don't they yeah I definitely do get them definitely under their spell yeah <laughs> yeah so I'd like to move on now to talk about faith as you're a practicing Christian and could you talk a bit about how and when first of all your faith has helped you through everything you've been through on the past seven or eight months um so I'm going to be completely honest here and just say it from my point of view that I I have found it difficult at times um but surprisingly, through the pregnancy and through the hospital, my faith really carried me through it. It carried us both through it. And we're both Christians. And um, there's a particular verse in Jeremiah 29, 11, um, that says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And um, we have that on a little plaque that we keep in our house. Um and that verse to some might make people think that no harm's ever going to come to you. But actually, it just reassured us that we need to have faith that God is in control of the situation, that God has a plan for us, and that we need to just trust in him. Um, and when we were at the hospital, and when we were pregnant, all we could do was trust and have hope in a miracle. Um, unfortunately, obviously it's not the way we wanted it to turn out, but, um, I'm just trying to pray as much as I can. And it's the same with any relationship, isn't it? Communication is key. Um, so I'm hoping that just praying and no matter how many times I get angry at God or how many times I resent him for doing this to us and putting me through this, um, I just have to trust and I have to have hope and I, I'm really trying to make this situation into something that's going to be life-changing. It's definitely made me a more compassionate person without a doubt. Um, I have more time for people and I want to hear people's stories. I want to share in what they're going through. And there's no way I'd be sitting here doing that now if I hadn't have been through the things that I have. And I think, I don't know, I think there's, it's quite interesting because I think often you talk a lot in terms of 
or, or there are some statistics in terms of couples and their relationship following baby loss. And, and, you know, I think there's some statistic that quite a high proportion of couples break up, but in from the people I've spoken to, at least that hasn't been, been the case. And I think often it can bring you close together and strengthen you. And I imagine that with faith, it's perhaps a bit similar because this must be, you know, one of those experiences that really rocks the very foundation of, of kind of what you believe in and how how could this terrible thing have happened. And it's perhaps a moment where, I don't know, perhaps your faith could break apart or you could lose it, or as you seem to be doing, you then try and rebuild it and kind of piece it back together and perhaps it will be stronger as a result. I think lots of people at and including family and friends as well, lots of them don't understand how we could be praying when our son was in neonatal intensive care and would be dying. Lots of people just didn't understand it and were angry and they were cross and they didn't see where we were coming from. But um, I guess it's just knowing that, you know, he was suffering and that if I wasn't in hospital when my waters broke... I never would have even got to meet him. And I really feel that God had his hand on that. God made sure that I had every appointment that led up to that as well, because there was appointment that led to that one, that led to that one, that led to that one. And without piecing all that information together, I never would have recognized that I think I was in labor and I never would have gone to the hospital. I would have just thought I had backache. Um, So... I really feel like every step we've had, God has had a part in it. He's comforted us and given us hope when we needed it. And also he gave us peace when we knew it was coming to the end. We were relatively okay that he would be safe in God's arms in heaven. And I think that carries us through every day now too, knowing that he's up there and God's looking after him. Um, it's just helped us through such a difficult time. And I'm sure my faith will be stronger again. If this doesn't make anyone question their faith, then I don't think anything ever will. Um, There's lots of unanswered questions, but I just hope that gently God will reveal things to me and will shape my life and hopefully carry Tobias through it as well. Um, And as you say, it is a relationship and and relationships have to be worked on don't they it's it's not you know they change and they evolve and and grow and develop and sometimes get knocked down and sometimes and sometimes get built up again like any relationship or friendship we go through exactly yeah I think whatever you go through makes you stronger doesn't it um you just got to keep fighting for it Mm. so we'll probably I think you've kind of touched on this a bit but finally before we wrap up I just wanted to ask you why you chosen to speak out about Tobias's story and perhaps how you hope to remember him and involve him in your lives moving forward. Um, so I've chosen to share his story because it's difficult and I felt so alone in our time in hospital all the parents we came into contact with, all the specialists and doctors, they'd never seen a baby like him. And that made me feel so alone. And I felt like no one would understand. I remember coming home and feeling like there's got to be other people out there in this position. 
there's got to be parents that have had their baby living in NICU that have experienced trying to cuddle your baby with tubes and wires all over you with not being able to hold your baby when you want to not being able to pick them up when they're crying there's got to be someone that understands that and so I reached out on social media I think like lots of people do I came across pages that spoke about baby loss and miscarriage and um to begin with I didn't really understand miscarriage very much um I felt really bad explaining and moaning about my experiences in NICU when some people never even got to meet their baby. I didn't understand how that could be in the same conversation. I just felt awful. So I set up a Facebook page purely for infant loss. Um, And then I also set up an Instagram account a few weeks later. And just the power of the community I found. I had no idea these people were out there. We all feel the same. We all feel alone. And actually, it is so powerful to come together and speak about your baby and share things. And lots of people are having the same conversations as myself, saying that you don't know how to bring your baby up in conversation, or you don't know how to share pictures of your baby, or... um simple things like people would tell strangers that they'd had a baby and they'd passed away and people wouldn't say congratulations they would say sorry and even though it's it's nice to hear that they're sorry actually you gave your baby life you've had a baby you're a mum that is worth congratulating and that is worth talking about so I guess I'm just sharing it to talk about Tobias because I love talking about him it's a great way to do it um but also to tell people that I haven't met a parent yet that doesn't want you to talk about their baby no matter how much pain it brings up the joy that comes from talking about your baby always outweighs it it's been absolutely wonderful chatting to you Cheney and I feel like we could chat all day but (laughs) but we have to end at some point. So could you finish by telling people where they can connect with you online and find out more about Tobias's story? Um, So I have an Instagram page, which is called Puzzle Pieces of My Heart, but heart has a a full stop in between the E and the A. Um, So that is my Instagram page. I'm trying to share as much of my story as possible. But as you can tell, I have a a long story and a lot to say. So I've actually started writing a bit of a book to try and make sure I include all of it in there. Um, So I'm looking forward to doing that. And I will share snippets of that on my Instagram page in the future as well. Fantastic. And I will include a link in the show notes in case you're trying to figure out how to spell that Instagram (laughs) handle or where where the dot goes in it. Yeah, it's easier when you see it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Cheney. It's been lovely chatting to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Footprints on Our Hearts. Please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com. <laughs>